So if you were to think of the history of the world, the history of the earth as that football field, he was likening it to a thousand years, right? And he was showing that your life is likely to be less than a hundred years. So you're on the 10 yard line until you end. That's a good way to look at it. But let's look at the same football field. And let's say that that football field represents the history of the world. Genesis is one end zone. That's where you receive the kickoff. That's where humanity receives the kickoff. Genesis 1, 2, 3. And then the other end of the football field, right there, right in the last couple of yards, as a matter of fact, would be Revelation or much of what Revelation speaks of. Where do you think we are on that football field? Well, certainly we're not at the beginning. And I think you would agree with me that we're not in the middle. But how close to the end are we? See, it's very interesting. I decided that I wanted to do uh, not only the Gospel of John, but all of John's material uh, more than a year ago. And then we had the sudden uh, horrific events in Israel, and now we have the war there. And that has sparked interest once again uh, in the end times and revelation and how that may factor in. But I didn't decide to teach through revelation because of that event. This is where I planned to do this. So I would consider that this is providential. And I think that this is an important book. I'm going to tell you something. The very first book that I ever read before I was a Christian was the book of Revelation. So I'm a teenager, a fairly young teenager. I think I might've been about 14 years old, maybe 13 years old. And we got a pamphlet on our doorstep. I don't know if somebody was hand delivering it or if it was through the mail or whatever, but it was all about the end times. And it was taking all of these symbols in Revelation and it was pointing to organizations and events in the world at that time. Well, my stepdad, who, when I was younger, had never been to church a day in his life, which is, it's easier for me to believe that there are people around today that have never been to church at all, although in this part of the country, that's less likely. Um, but I grew up in Arizona and over on the West Coast. Um, you know, you run into pockets of people who just have never been to church. Um, I had been to church a few times growing up, uh, but my dad had never been to church, ever. Uh, now he has, he's been a few times, but I mean, he just never, but he was so fascinated by this pamphlet and we just discussed it and talked about it. And so I sat down and took my grandmother's Bible and read the book of Revelation and didn't understand anything that I read, as you would imagine. But I was interested because it seemed relevant. So um, I want you to see that God put this book in our hands so that we would have a map, so that we would be able to see what's going to happen. So uh, let's take the example that I used with the kids. Um, Asher is standing here, and the, the aisle is very wide, and the doorway is very obvious, okay? There's a straight path to that door. He's been in this church his whole life. In fact, he's been in this church building his whole life. And so, of course, you know, he's going to volunteer. He's one of my karate kids, so he feels comfortable doing that as well. So he's going to volunteer because he knows he can walk a straight path back to that door. But see what happens. And this is going to happen. And it is already happening with your kids. Is they're closing their eyes to what they've been taught and they're getting spun around by the world. 
And even though they've been trained and you've taught them where the exit is and you've taught them the way, they may not get there. They may not take a straight route there. I hope they do get there. There's a proverb that promises, train up a child in the way he should go and what? In the end, he will not depart from it. So sometimes I think they take detours. They get confused. They close their eyes to the things that they've been taught, right? They meander around. But you notice, even with all of those challenges, Asher was still making his way to the door. Why? Because he's been trained. It's in him. Okay. However, these other kids, now they were, they were smiling. They would love to, they would love for me to blindfold them and let them make their way upstairs. They really, really would. Okay. They, they would love nothing more to do. I will tell you this. It is highly likely that most of those kids could find their way upstairs with the blindfold on, even though it's a more circuitous route. Why is that? Because they've been up there so many times, right? It's not as straight, but it's still that way. Now, what if I spun them around though? Now, there's probably going to be some of them that are going to end up somewhere else, right? End up at the back of that room or in one of the bathrooms or something like that. This is, this is our culture. At one point in time, revelation was very, very important in the Western world, all right? There is art that indicates that it's very important, um, Perhaps you have uh, seen the uh, painting called The Last Judgment by Michelangelo on the Sistine Chapel. Have you ever seen that? Go ahead and put that up there, Autumn. I, uh, I have that there. Um, it, is, uh, it is a beautiful painting, and it is inspired by the images that we get uh, as Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 24 uh, in Mark 13, uh, the, uh, what we call the eschatological discourse, the end times teaching. And, you know, this, this image in the middle of this burly figure with his hand up might not be your image of Jesus, but based on what he saw in Revelation and what he saw and heard as uh, the end times were being taught, that was his way of expressing Jesus as the figure who uh, in the Middle Ages was known as Pantocrator, right? Now that sounds really weird, right? But it's a word that comes from the Greek meaning ruler of all, almighty. It's a Greek word that translates the Old Testament Hebrew when it refers to almighty God or Lord of hosts. It uses that word. And when these folks were exposed to revelation and it was regularly taught, it was consistently brought forth in the church, then this was the image they had. Um, go ahead and put that other one up there. The, the other image that I have, this is the, an image that is found again and again in churches. It should be right there. It says Pantocrator. There it is. This is actually the earliest version of that image. Um, so there, Christ is seen with a hand of blessing. Notice, notice his right hand. What's happening there? He's got these three fingers together and these two fingers up. Did you know that means something? This is the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, one essence. And these are the two natures of Christ, inextricably tied together, but still two separate natures. And this was the way the priest blessed people. All right? To this day, this is the way they will cross themselves many times. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right? Now, this image is uh, the, about the sixth century. And of course, he holds the word of God. 
close to his chest. Some folks believe that this represents the gospels, okay? So I wanted to show those images to you, not that, that, that Jesus looks like that any more than he looked like the burly guy uh, in the other picture or any more than he looks like this up here. These are just images, right? Um, but I want you to get that, that more uh, muscular image of Jesus, that more powerful image of Jesus in your mind because Revelation starts out, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must, must soon take place. That idea, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It means that it is from Jesus. The revelation that comes from Jesus, of Jesus Christ means it's also about Jesus. And of Jesus Christ means it also belongs to Jesus. So this is about Jesus from beginning to end, right? This isn't about uh, some prophecy that was given to John that has little or nothing to do with Jesus, right? Um, this is not like uh, some Latter-day prophets that we've uh, heard of that are trying to tell you how the world is going to end. No, this is to Jesus and through Jesus to John and to us right now. The book answers important questions, and here's where I'll start my outline, ladies. Um, the book answers important questions. First, A, will the world end? Is the world going to end? If so, How? And that's why I've titled this, How and When Will the World End? Well, we're not going to answer those questions in one message. This is just to incite your interest because this is an introduction to Revelation. Um, Next question, does God care about evil and injustice? You look around the world, you see all the evil and the injustice in the world, and this has caused some people to become atheists. They said, if God is great and God is good, then why all this evil? That's the question of theodicy. I have a much longer answer to that question, but... Revelation does help to answer that question. Um, is he, that is God, ever going to do anything about evil and injustice? And that's what we see uh, God doing in Revelation. Will the righteous be vindicated and the wicked punished? Does everybody that does evil just get away with it? This is why people, uh, again, will put themselves in the camp of atheism sometimes is they just don't want to have anybody tell them what to do. They don't want to have that sense that there is a God that is going to pay them back for the evil things that they've done. They want to do their deeds in darkness and have nobody know about them. Or these days, it's not even that. We change what is good and what is evil. We reverse them. People think evil that the Bible, things the Bible calls are, is evil are actually good. And things that the Bible calls good, these people are calling evil. This is blasphemy of the spirit. And this is exactly what you would expect to see in the end of time. Um, next question, Jesus promised to return to earth. When will that happen? It's been 2,000 years. How long? When do we, you know, when do we foresee that taking place? And next question, uh, will there ever be a better world than this one? Or is this as good as it gets? Uh, there was a movie that came out, I think, in the 80s uh, that was that, of that title. And then finally, if you're a believer in heaven and hell, what is heaven like? What is hell like, for that matter? All right, so those are questions that Revelation is, in fact, going to answer. So next, revelation means God shows us what is hidden, the mystery of the end of the age. That's what that word means. It's uh, the word apocalypsis. Say that. What does that sound like? 
apocalypse. And that's where we get the word apocalypse. Now, when we think of an apocalypse, we think of this sudden horrific series of events that precede the end. Well, that's because that's what we see in the book of Revelation. But apocalypsis simply means to reveal something that is hidden, to make something that is unknown, known. This is why people are so confused today, right? So I would say most people believe that the world is eventually going to end. You have these uh, various shows that you perhaps would watch on television, you know, about how the world is going to end as the result of climate change or how uh, basically entropy is going to take place and everything is going to grind down and humans are going to die. I mean, there's actually a series, what, what the world will be like without humans. It's almost like there are people that hate humans, even though they are humans. You know, and they want the world to be this, you know, this place where there's no humans. It's just animals and plants, I suppose. Um, But uh, what we see here is the revelation, this revealing of what's going to happen at the end is given to Christ by God the Father. So it belongs to him. The revelation comes from Christ through angelic mediators to the apostle John and then to us from God the Father to Jesus, to angelic mediators, to the apostle John. Now, the angelic mediators uh, step is skipped right here at the beginning because we begin with messages to the seven churches and Jesus gives those messages directly to John. But from that point forward, after the seven churches, Jesus is a major figure, the major figure, I will say, in the drama that unfolds. So it is angelic messengers who are making it known to John. Okay, so we should understand this. The revelation is ultimately about Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth, it says, to whom uh, be glory and the dominion forever and ever. That's in verses five and six. In fact, I only read verse one. Um, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna pause here uh, on my outline and I'm just gonna go ahead and read chapter one. We're promised a blessing when we read this book and when we hear it. How often do you read the book of Revelation? Have you ever heard the book of Revelation read out loud? Well, you're going to right now. I'm not going to read the whole book, just chapter one. All right, here it is. This is from the New American Standard Bible. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, everything that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Verse four, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. There's your Pantocrator right there. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he made us into a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. That's to Jesus. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who who was, who is, and was, and who is to come, the almighty. 
Verse nine, I, John, your brother and fellow participant in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write on a scroll which you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. After turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and wrapped around the chest with a gold sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been heated to a glow in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man and he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one and I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then chapter two begins these messages to the seven churches and we'll look at that next week. Now, I have 10 pages of notes on chapter one and I'm not gonna do that today because I don't think that you have that level of patience. Um, but I have, uh, I'm, I'm, my intent is to go through Revelation the way I went through John, theme by theme and scene by scene. So today, what I want to do is I want to spark your interest in this book. I want to emphasize the importance of this book. You see, it was once very important in the church, but after the Reformation, there were a number of denominational groups that downgraded it because they thought that uh, it was uh, not that important. And so you will see whole denominations that rarely even read or talk about this book. Now, I don't know where you are at when it concerns Revelation. Um, some people are interested in it, uh, perhaps uh, to an obsessive degree. And there are other people who would rather not read it at all. Um, there is a, a very interesting author named H.A. Uh, Ironside, and uh, he wrote uh, an introduction. And I want to read the first couple of sentences here in his introduction. He says, it is certainly cause for deep regret that to so many Christians, the book of Revelation seems to be what God never intended it, uh, never intended it should be, a sealed book. That is a book that you can't understand and that you don't read. The book of Daniel was to be sealed till the time of the end, Daniel 12, 9, but of Revelation it is written, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand, chapter 22, 10. It is clearly evident that this portion of Holy Scripture was given for our instruction and edification, but thousands of the Lord's people permit themselves to be robbed of a blessing by ignoring it. We, of all people, in this time need to be cognizant and aware of what's going to happen at the end. I've got to press this and go to the other page. 
Okay, there we go. I'm going to wear the head mic next time. I, my hand doesn't, it's not that big. It doesn't reach all the way across. All right. So let's look at the, the, the reason that the book of Revelation was written. Okay. Um, Christ conquered sin, death, and Satan when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He promised to return and reign, yet he hasn't come back and evil remains in the world. Why? What and when will God do something about injustice and evil? Revelation, as I said earlier, answers these questions. It answers the age-old question of theodicy. If God is great and God is good, then why all this evil? Well, the answer is God will destroy evil and install his son as the king who brings justice and righteousness. Amen? In the first through the early fourth centuries, Christians were persecuted and they were martyred. Um, we'll, we'll get into that because Revelation doesn't just speak about the end. Revelation spoke to those people in those early centuries. Revelation has been, um, has been appropriate to be read in the church and can be applied throughout the history of the church. It's not only about the end, right? There are different ways that people approach Revelation. Some people say, well, that all already happened. It, it was a first century thing. That approach is called preterist. And then there are those who say, well, no, Revelation speaks of events that take place throughout church history. That's the historicist, and I would lean toward that. And then there's the futurist who would say, no, Revelation is exclusively about the very, very end of time. And I think that you're going to find, um, true to what the preterist would say, there, there were very, very uh, um, pertinent events that took place in the first century all the way through the third century that you find being spoken to in Revelation. But you'll also see that the way Revelation is laid out, it is intended to be seen as a roadmap throughout the history of the church, not just for the first century. And it speaks of the end, the very end, right? So I think that uh, I would stand more carefully and and, and I, I think more uh, permanently among the historicists, but I definitely see a futurist application to Revelation um, or we wouldn't, uh, I think, be as interested in it, okay? Um, so Revelation is assurance that God's judgment is coming upon the wicked. Salvation is secure for the saints and Christ will return to inaugurate a new world. We can endure injustice and evil now knowing that God will eventually make all things right, Amen. So this is what, this is my short answer to people who ask the question of theodicy, okay? Which is again, God is great, God is good, then why all this evil? You wanna hear my short answer? This ain't heaven. This is a fallen world. And Revelation talks about how God is going to deal with the wicked and the righteous in this fallen world. Their justice is coming, folks. Judgment day is coming, friends. Ain't nobody getting away with nothing. We are all going to give an answer for our lives. And there is a judgment day coming. And it's going to come to the earth, right? Um, number four in my outline, the theme of Revelation. Okay, so that, that was the reason for Revelation. The theme, and this is just a sentence that I came up with that I think captures the theme. Through Christ, God will judge the righteous the unrighteous, excuse me, conquer evil and bring about a new world. That's revelation. Through Christ, God will judge the unrighteous, conquer evil and inaugurate a new world. That's what revelation is about. 
So if you're like, okay, that's all I need to know. All right, well, see ya. Have a good day. Now you know it's all gonna turn out okay, all right? Um, Jesus Christ appeared to John as the one called Pantocrator. That's, uh, that word is not found in Revelation. Um, that's a transliteration of this Greek word, as I said earlier, meaning almighty ruler of all. So I didn't ask you this question before, but now I'll ask you this question. Is that the Jesus you worship? I don't mean those images, but I mean, do you worship Jesus at all, first of all? Do you believe Jesus is God, right? One with the Father, mysterious, right? Uh, one and three, three and one, okay? If he's one with the Father, God is almighty God. Would you agree? Jesus is, is his almighty son. Do you see Jesus being able to handle all of your problems? Or is he gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who died on the cross? He's kind of some wafy, skinny dude, you know? And he's like, oh, you guys, quit picking on each other. You need to stop that. You're hurting my feelings. I'm Jesus. Y'all need to follow me. No, man. He died for our sins, and it took a man to die on that cross. It took some serious courage and endurance of unbelievable pain to die on that cross. And then he conquered death. He rose from the grave. When he comes back, he's not going to come back as the crucified Christ. He's going to come back as that pantocrator. He's going to come back as that ruler of all. He's going to come back as the judge of all human beings. That's what he's returning as. So he'll return to judge the world. However, you and I are going to appear before his judgment seat when we die. Are you ready? Are you ready? Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. How many people are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? All. Are you an all? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be, may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then Hebrews 9.27, I quote 9.27 all the time. I used to run this huge show here in the Garland area. It became a Metroplex-wide and indeed area-wide phenomenon for a while. It was called House of Judgment. And the theme verse for House of Judgment is Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed for everyone once to die. Are you an everyone? It is appointed for everyone once to die and then comes judgment. And I've said this to people before. If you are often late to appointments, you will not be late for that one. It is appointed for everyone once to die and then comes judgment. But interestingly, that's only part of the thought in Hebrews 9 because it's 9:27 and 28. It gives us hope. It's not just, oh, I'm, I'm you know, shaking in my boots because I'm gonna have to appear before God in judgment. Listen to the whole thing, 9:27 and 28. This is the Christian Standard Bible. And just as it is appointed for people once to die and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those waiting for him. You see, when he returns, he's gonna return to reign. When he returns, he's gonna return to judge. But guess what? He's gonna return to take all of us with him and bring us into his kingdom who have chosen to confess him as Lord and Savior. So if you trust the Christ who died on the cross and who rose from the dead as your savior, then you have nothing to fear. You don't need to fear judgment. The judge is also your defense attorney. If you believe in Jesus, then judgment for you will be about reward, not condemnation. In fact, what does the scripture say? Romans 8, 1, for there is therefore what? 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? There is no condemnation awaiting you. Put your faith in Jesus, the one who died for your sins and rose from the grave. He became our sin on the cross that we might become his righteousness. And then uh, this verse from John 5, 24, uh, truly I tell you, this is Jesus talking to uh, us and to the people. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. You will not come under condemnation if you are in Christ. But you say, okay, but you just said earlier that we're all gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So what does that mean? That's for reward or lack of it. What if you put your faith in Jesus and you just lived your whole life for yourself? What kind of reward is gonna be there for you? There will be no tears in heaven. When we get to the end of Revelation, we're gonna see that there's no suffering, there's no pain, there's no tears, all that's passed away. But I'm gonna tell you this, I believe with all my heart, there will be tears at the judgment bar of Christ. Because I think many of us are gonna look at our lives and how much we live for ourselves and how little we live for Christ and see that we have so little to offer him. So the scripture speaks in various places of crowns that the righteous will will receive. And in Revelation, it talks about those crowns being thrown down at the feet of Christ. You see, every reward that you receive in this life, every blessing you receive in this life, you offer back to him in gratitude. That's what we're looking forward to. So put your faith firmly in Jesus now and hang on to the end. What does Jesus say? Those who endure to the end will be saved. So conversely, that would mean those who do not endure to the end will not be saved. And then uh, this, back in Hebrews again, this is Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. I see so many people doing this today. They just throw away their faith. It's like you go to a buffet, you get all the food on your plate, you eat a little bit and you're like, eh, I don't feel like it anymore. And just throw all that good stuff away. But it's even worse than that. They just throw away their faith. They throw away their confidence, which the writer of Hebrews says has great reward for you have need of endurance. You have need of what? Yeah, this isn't a sprint. Have you ever gone running with little kids? They take off, don't they? They take off, they run ahead of you and they go about, I don't know what, 50 yards or so. And then like, and then they're, you know, they're walking. All right. I know a number of you in this room, Lige in particular, run longer distances. You've got to pace yourself, don't you? I mean, you can't sprint the whole way. You've got to learn to pace yourself and you've got to keep on running because this is a distance race. So you may have come to faith in Christ when you were a youth. I was a youth minister for many years and I saw many teenagers make professions of faith in events that we did. The House of Judgment was one of them. Um, At camps, lots of teenagers, lots of emotion behind that, okay? But in the end, not everybody sticks with it, do they? Some people fall away and come back. Uh, There's a young lady that was in my youth group uh, when I was a youth minister who recently recontacted me through Facebook or I posted something and she posted something. And she talked about kind of getting away from the Lord for 25 years and coming back. 
But praise God, she came back, amen? So some people do. They get out there, like I've, you know, the illustration from the beginning of the message. They're, they're bumping into things and running around and getting spun around for a while, but eventually they come back and they walk the path. That is a possibility. But we have to hold on to our confidence to the end if we're gonna get the reward. For yet in a little while, uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, the coming one will come and not delay. The coming one is Jesus. But my righteous ones shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. And if he shrinks back, that is the righteous one who lives by faith, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But he confidently says to the people he's writing to, and I hope to you, he confidently says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. Is that you? Are you going to hang on? You gotta hang on to the very end. The culture's gonna spin you around. The lies of the devil are gonna seek to blind you. The closer you get to the culture, the further you're going to drift from Christ. When the culture disagrees with the biblical Christ, you need to cut loose from what the culture is leading you to believe and think and say and do. And I hope to one degree, the scripture, the very first verse that my karate kids memorize is uh, Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What is the beginning of knowledge? Right? And in Proverbs chapter 9, I believe it's verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you can't do anything else, if you don't have any more feeling for God, you can at least be smart enough to fear him because judgment day is coming. And you're not going to escape just because you don't believe that. Well, that's an old book and I don't believe them things. The truth is consistent throughout time. The truth is absolute. It's timeless because it comes from a timeless God. So these things that were revealed 2,000 years ago, are they still true? They are still true. Even though the culture is leading people in a completely different direction. So I didn't give you a lot of information about the contents of the book. I simply gave you an idea of why it's here and what it's for. And I hope it has sparked your interest. And I hope you read it on your own. Are you gonna understand it? Probably not. But as we go through it, and I help you to understand some of these things, then I think you're gonna see how important it is, and especially in our time. So at the beginning, I asked you, if you were on that football field and it represented time, how close do you think we are to the end? Friends, I think we're on the one yard line. And I think you better be ready. More than that, I think your kids need to be ready. I've been saying this for years, ever since kids started getting born in our church, you need to teach your kids to be little warriors because the devil is lying to them, confusing them, and stealing their hearts right out from under your nose. Now, you can't make them believe anything, but you can love them, amen? And you can teach them, and you can discipline them, and you can show them the reward of following Christ, and you can be the example. And that includes when you're wrong, you say, hey, I'm, you know what? I was wrong. That doesn't lessen you as a parent. That doesn't lessen your authority. In fact, it shows them that when they're wrong, they need to admit it as well. So whatever the case, I pray that all of us will be ready and that this series will be a blessing to you. Um, 
it is likely that after I finish John's gospel on Wednesday, I'm going verse by verse through John, I will take all of the notes that I'm taking here and do uh, Revelation verse by verse because, friends, there's so much stuff here, and it's so great.